friends. Welcome to Wild Hearts with Janine. I'm Janine, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited that you guys are here today. I am stoked to introduce you to my friend, Rachel. She is a friend that I've actually only met in person, what, I think one time, Um, but we've known each other for quite a few years. And our topic today is the importance of owning your story, which can mean so many different things. But ultimately, we're going to be focusing on owning your truth and living fully in your truth. And uh, it's going to be a hard topic. So I'm just going to kind of forewarn you, this is going to be really deep. And um, I want all of you to stick around for it because it is going to do some transformational things in a lot of people's lives. So yeah, Rachel, say hi. Hello. I'm so (laughs) glad to be here. I'm so, so glad that you're here. And right now you are in Virginia, right? I am Richmond, Virginia. And I'm literally on the opposite side of the country in San Francisco, which is so wild. Technology <laughs> is awesome. <laughs> I want I want everyone who's listening to just kind of know a little bit about you. So can you share maybe what you do, mm-hmm. your age, who you are, all the things. Yeah. Oh, and fun fact, share a fun fact. Absolutely. Okay. I'm Rachel Dawson. I'm 26. And yeah, I live in Richmond now. I grew up in Arizona. So West Coast, I still think is the best (laughs) coast. Um, But yeah, I am a design editor for a big Christian media company here in Richmond. So I get to work with a lot of different Christian websites doing design and social media and writing and just even some podcasting. I do a lot of like voiceovers. So fun fact about me, I am usually reading a lot of books at once. I read... A lot. It's yeah, become you do. the thing people like know about me. I need, yes, yes, <laughs> true. I need to know how, are you just a really, really fast reader? Because I love reading, but I think because my brain is always going like a thousand miles a minute, I have a really hard time digesting it. Like a lot of times I'll read through a page or five and then completely forget everything that I read. So like, yeah, I am a fast reader. It depends on what you're reading. So I find that I need to have a balance. I'm usually reading like a fiction book and then maybe like a faith book, maybe a book of poetry, maybe a memoir. Mm -hmm. So because I'm doing that, I feel like I can switch gears a little bit easier and make progress overall. I do just read fast though. That's actually really smart. That's smart to kind of switch it up and have different genres, different types of books mixed in because then it kind of keeps you engaged because it's not kind of the same. I think that's my problem. I like read the same kind of stuff all the time and Mm -hmm. I get burnt out on it. I just needed that little nugget. So (laughs) there you go. There you go. (laughs) You have a bookstagram, right? Bookstagrams are a like legitimate (laughs) It has become such a fun little community. I did not know I was missing out on. Um, So yeah, all the rad reads. If you care about books, I have just met the coolest people and mm-hmm. it's share reviews and thoughts and people get like really heated in the comments. It's amazing. I love it. That's hilarious. I never would have expected that. They get heated. Oh, yes. If you say you loved a book that people hate, they're like, what? I can't <laughs> believe you gave that five stars. I'm like, okay. <laughs> different strokes for different folks, guys. Like, <laughs> let's calm down. That is amazing. <laughs> Quite entertaining. I do love it though. Oh my gosh. Okay, Rachel, from your point of view, how do we know each other? I was trying to pinpoint it. My 
best guess is honestly Instagram and probably mutual friends we had in common through blogging things, perhaps like a Twitter chat once upon the time, um, which is fun. I've met so many people on the internet that have become actual real life friends that Mm -hmm. that is when you and I met is when I road tripped with some blogger friends that showed up at my house. I had never met them in real life. (laughs) Then we road tripped to Nashville and when you were living there and it's been a really fun thing to realize like, oh, you actually can meet cool people on the internet. It's not as scary as your parents might have warned you. Yeah, is it? never would have met otherwise, I don't think. So no, cool. I don't think so either. I was going to say, I feel like maybe, like, no offense to parental ages, but like they might be a little out of touch because the internet was scary in the 90s. Like, sure. I agree. But now it's, that's how everyone's meeting. I mean, that's how people are meeting to get married now. Like, <laughs> right. right. So, um, but yeah, that is how we met. That was so fun. I think, yeah, it was either Instagram or blogging, I think is how mm-hmm. we originally met. It, but when you said Twitter, I was like, shoot, like days so far behind me, I can't yeah. remember, but it might've been, I don't even have a Twitter anymore, but you're right. It definitely might've been. Twitter. <laughs> yeah, who knows? The blog <laughs> and Instagram world, just all blurs and yeah. it's fun. I do really love that community though, of just like the girlfriends that are all kind of, well, cause we're all girls, but I kind of love it. We've all just met through these like social media channels and state mm-hmm. connected. I think is even more beautiful because it's so rare nowadays to actually stay connected. Yeah, it is. So, it's cool. Oh, that's so fun. Okay. Well, quick icebreaker question before we get yeah. into our topic. I think I just love asking this question because it satisfies some sort of wanderlust in me. Where is uh, your favorite place you've ever been or maybe a place you're hoping to go? And feel free to answer both. Okay. I will super quickly because I could talk about them both for forever. <laughs> I loved London. I studied abroad in London and I was there the summer that the Olympics were there and the Queen's Jubilee was happening. So I just got to see, I think, the very best of London and a very patriotic side of London. And I was there long enough that it felt like home and I had places I was a regular and I just knew my way around the city and it was just a really fun season of my life. So I would move back to London in a heartbeat. I would move to London in a heartbeat. Let's Let's be roommates in London. (laughs) Oh my God. Oh, but wait. But How I mean, can we I'm, actually I'm, make I'm down. Uh, I am down. <laughs> yeah, I did London when I was there. I was there in April and then I was back in August. And the difference in like just kind of the vibe of the city and people's demeanors was so drastic because April's still like really cold and wet and August was like gorgeous. And I, I just felt like people were generally happier. It is yeah. a little rainy, but I would take it though. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and then next up on my like radar is I'm trying to get, this is ambitious, get to all 50 states before I'm 30. So I have 17 states left in three years. <laughs> Pressure is on, but I feel confident. Are they in close by to one another? They are. It really is three trips. It's like a okay. Northeast road trip, which I want to do in the fall. Mm-hmm. And then the random road trip. I got to get like Kentucky and then like the Dakotas. So it's all the like upper Midwest, okay. um, which I think would be a fun road trip. There's really no other way to do it. And then it's Hawaii, which feels like a grand finale kind of a situation. <gasps> yeah. Please, yeah. I yes. can do it. You can definitely do it. And if and when you plan for Hawaii, let me know because I might come with you. I have friends who actually live there on the big island. So you done. <laughs> that feels like the final thing that I will cross off the bucket list. So I'll keep you posted. <sighs> 
Oh my gosh. That's a great bucket list. I, I was actually, I think I was totaling those up recently and I was like, Oh, I've been to like 30. Do I think I could fit in? So I'm trying to think I need to do a trip yeah. or not yeah. one. It need to be multiple. Let's be honest. All right, Rachel. Well, moving into our topic for today, uh, which is the importance of owning your story. I think there are three things in our lives that seem to be really important based on the things that we write about and talk about. And those are vulnerability, authenticity, and quote unquote real talk. So I want to ask you first, why are those things important to you? I think when I have been taking some like reflective time to think just about my life in general and um, the kind of person I want to be and how I want to live, it matters a lot to me to be the kind of person that adds to the world, just adds value and adds meaning and adds like connection and something that just matters. And I feel like to do that, it requires authenticity. I don't think you can be somebody that's um, living a life of impact or influence or just real value if you're kind of faking it. Um, Mm -hmm. or trying to kind of BS your way through it. I think it just matters a lot to me to really be as open and honest with myself and with others and with God that I can be. Mm -hmm. And I just think that makes everything that I do better. I think it makes my work better. I think it makes my creativity better. Just I just don't really know any other way to live. I think I've just kind of always lived with this like really kind of transparent mindset that it's just the best to be who I am, good, bad, or ugly. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it kind of gives other people the freedom to 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 know that they don't have to also put on a facade or a mask and that everything is okay and we can mm-hmm. like fumble through it together and we're better for it. So Gosh, yeah. I think I read a quote. I think I learned it in college. And it's just that uh, authenticity breeds authenticity. It does, uh, yeah. So when we personally feel the freedom and the confidence to be our full selves and not like shield away parts of ourselves and really share parts of our lives and our experiences and our stories that opens up an environment and create creates an environment really for other people to do the same and I think now more than ever I guess being in my like late 20s now it just feels like everyone's on board with that and everyone's like yeah stop being fake maybe it has to do with the social media that we've grown up with and has cultivated over the last 10 years. Everyone's like, stop with like the highlight reels and Mm -hmm. tell me real things. I want to engage with a real person who maybe doesn't have the most curated Instagram feed, but is like sharing real life things. And so, yeah, yeah, I think I'm no longer enamored with the perfectly polished filtered mindset. And I just am not interested in the, yeah, the highlight reel or the glamour shots. But I will say when we're talking about vulnerability, I think I've learned it's important to make a distinction that being vulnerable and as important as vulnerability is, I think it's different than total transparency. Mm. Like I'm going to advocate for vulnerability all day long and think that it's so important, but I'm not saying go be totally transparent in your entire life. Cause I don't necessarily think that that's always healthy or wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm learning a lot of that as I'm learning to try to be vulnerable and be authentic and really keep it real with who I am and what I'm saying and like lining all of that up, that there are still times I think I need to hold back or not share everything with everybody. And there's certain people that maybe haven't earned that kind of access to, you know, really see the most vulnerable places in my life or in my story. Um, so I would just say too, I think 
you know, as we kind of get into some heavier topics, don't hear us talking about vulnerability and think like, oh my gosh, I have to tell everyone everything. Like (gasps) what? Like that's not Mm -hmm. at all. I think Mm -hmm. what either one of us would kind of encourage or endorse, but yeah, there's definitely discernment that's required with knowing when and where is the right time to say how much where safe places are and things like that. And I think a lot of it too comes with maturity. You kind of start to figure that out more, the older you get, the more mature you get. When I was, especially I think when I was in Europe, I mean, I just grew a lot in those few months when I was by myself and found an outlet in Instagram with sharing my real talk, as I called it. It was just (laughs) the very non-glamorous, but very like real parts of what travel life looked like. The biggest one I remember is um, when I was in Paris and I really experienced um, a deep kind of loneliness I hadn't felt before. Um, I think it had to do with just being in the city I was in. It's so many couples, which is like great for you guys. Yeah. So happy for you. You're in love, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. I was like really struggling in my singleness and Mm -hmm. like physically being a single person where I was, but then also relationally being single. I ended up getting so much feedback from that one story in particular with people who are like resonating, but then also people who are like so encouraging. They were like praying for me and just speaking words of life. And that's one of those moments where I could have shied away and not said anything and just kind of sat in that. And as an Enneagram 4, I very easily could have sat in that. (laughs) But it's so much more beautiful too, because I think think we're all hungry for a connection, right? And Mm -hmm. you know, if you can zoom out a little bit in that moment, you surely know, like you're in Paris and lonely and you're like, wait, if I'm honest, I know I'm not the only person lonely, even though I'm not, you know, knowing everybody else's stories, like surely this is a common feeling. And it's just, Mm -hmm. I've just seen the beauty and I know you have too, of like when we just go first and be the one to like start the conversation or say something honest, the feedback is all, has always blown me away. And it's always been like, why did I ever think I was alone? Or why did I ever think that somehow like I was the one exception to the rule that like we all have value or whatever? Like, right. It's wild when you realize like, oh, we're all so much more connected and we all want to be so much more connected and someone just has to go first. So yes, if that's me, then here we go. Yes. <laughs> okay, good. Well, this helps us move so yes. well into your story. So you've been really honest and open in the past about your journey with um, depression and anxiety. Could you share a little bit of that journey with us and maybe talk a little bit about how you began going to counseling? Yeah, this is honestly a story I never thought would be mine. But then again, also looking back, realizing that the threads of this have been there all along. So it's this weird, like, this isn't where I thought I would be or what I thought I would be, you know, talking about or sharing, but it's also been a really just like meaningful season of my life and a lot of uncovering things have happened. So yeah, I've actually been seeing a Christian counselor um, every week for over a year and a half now, which is wild. A lot of people graduate, (laughs) I like to say, to like, you know, once a month counseling or every couple months. And nope, counseling has single-handedly been the most life-changing thing I've ever done. And um, so to give a little bit of backstory to why why I'm in counseling and how depression and anxiety kind of came about. When I was a teenager, my family moved across the country from Arizona to Richmond. And it was the worst transition, super rough. Um, it led to a really intense year of being bullied by the girls from youth group and things kind of escalated to like death threats and police getting involved and the whole oh my gosh. Up. Oh my gosh. I had no idea. It was ugly. It was ugly. Wow. So I, that was like a whole year. So I ricocheted from that into a really rocky and eventually super abusive relationship. 
with a guy that lasted two and a half years, which was two and a half years too long. Um, (laughs) so yeah, to, to get into it totally unfiltered. Um, I was raped and I was physically abused and I was verbally assaulted with every name in the book and cheated on repeatedly and were in a lot of really intense situations and police encounters and all sorts of just like really, really hard and Mm -hmm. scary and life threatening stuff. I, he threatened to talk of suicide if I left or told anybody. And yeah, I was somebody that had grown up in a very conservative Christian environment where purity culture was all the rage. It was preached at me from a young age that my purity and staying a virgin till I was married was the most important thing about me as a girl and as a woman. And when that was stolen from me, how it was, I kind of broke and I felt broken and I felt like I was just like used up and ruined and just there was nothing left that was worth anything. And I kind of mm-hmm. resigned myself to staying with him. And I thought the only option was that I had to marry him because mm-hmm. then nobody would know that he had taken that from me. So <laughs> I didn't tell us anyone. I didn't tell a soul. Um, I was a teenager and had this really heavy, heavy burden on me that I felt like nobody could know about. I felt like if anybody knew, they wouldn't love me. That if my story was known and I was, you know, I was the church girl and I was one with the purity ring on her finger and I was the good kid and mm-hmm. I had never done anything wrong. And now I had this horrible thing happening to me behind closed doors and it was mm-hmm. only on me. So there's a lot, there's a lot of shame in that. There's a lot of weight in that. There's a lot of guilt, um, a lot of feeling like I brought it on myself and I surely deserved it. And I didn't really like, did I really say no? Or did I just, I mean, I remember crying and I remember screaming. And I remember like fighting back and I know I was locked in the room, but like, I, I don't know, like gosh, there's yeah. a lot of reliving all of that and just mm-hmm. feeling like surely this was my fault. Over time, I started to let people know parts of my story and mm-hmm. I started kind of testing the waters a little bit with people and being like, well, can I tell you that I was cheated on? How will you respond to that? Or can Mm -hmm. I give you like this little snippet and will you stick around? Will you love me? I was just very fearful of people. And Mm -hmm. um, I mean, he had cheated on me with a lot of girls and some of them are my closest friends. So I didn't trust girls around me. I didn't trust anybody. didn't trust anyone. Yeah. It led into like a really weird season of kind of trying to live this like double life of like, I have all this shame and I have all this like guilt and all of this heaviness and what I feel like is brokenness and just the weight of all of that. But I'm also the girl who's like involved in church stuff and who's leading a small group and who's like, you know, has internships and all these fun, great things on the outside are happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was weird. I mean, I, I lived this kind of double life for a while where things looked fine from the outside, surely. And like we were talking about earlier, I mean, I had the filtered Instagram, like highlight mm-hmm. reel going on and there were so many lies and hurt underneath that. Did it like think, start to kind of eat away at you a little did. bit. Yeah. yeah. And I got to this point where I just was like, this is not who I want to be or how I want to live. And I kind of got to the place of like, I don't think I can handle this on my own anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I can't keep trying to just like muscle through this or like pretend like I'm okay for long enough that I'll finally be okay. And yeah, it was exhausting to live that way. And I lived that way for a lot of years, like a lot of years. And I started to realize after a while that like, oh, this isn't going anywhere. And this is like a weight that's heavier than just circumstances. And like, oh, I think this might be depression. Like, I think Mm. that's what this is. And I started to realize like, oh, if that's true, then like, I don't think I can just 
fight my way out of it. And I don't think I can just like, I, as big as I believe God to be and as good as I believe him to be, like, I don't know if I can just pray this away. And I think I might mm-hmm. need help. And I've, I've described it to people that at the peak, I think my depression felt a lot like quicksand. And it felt like this just heavy, heavy thing kind of pulling me under and like burying me. And I was sinking in it and I couldn't, I don't know. It was like more that I tried to kind of fight or get through it, the more I just kept kind of drowning in it. And yeah, it just felt like I can't keep living this divided life. Like I will surely drown in this if I don't do something about it. So I decided, I just, I think I just decided I had had enough and asked around for recommendations for counseling practices and started to see, like, I think I just need somebody wiser and older than Mm -hmm. me to come alongside me. And who's who's professionally trained and they have the education and the experience to actually speak into something. And I always feel like it's great to get someone from the outside who doesn't know you or your past or your story or anything has no prior knowledge of you to then speak into your life in ways that other people just can't. Right. Because at this point, friends did know. And there were people that I trusted that had heard my story. And I had, you know, I had been able to share more things with more people. And there was freedom in that. But it was also, it didn't feel like enough. And it felt like it wasn't something that my friends could help me necessarily solve. That there was a real mm-hmm. beauty and value in my friends being alongside me in it. But they couldn't speak to the hardest of it all. And they couldn't really everyone's best intentions couldn't really give me the kind of advice or the wisdom I was needing. And I didn't want to put that burden on them, right? I didn't want to expect a friend to be able to fix all of my hurt and all of the hard stuff. Because there's repercussions from living through abuse and trauma like that, that Mm -hmm. you don't realize at first. And then years pass and something flares up and you're like, oh, okay. And the friends around you at the time are like, what the heck is happening to you? Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, but this thing, this back then, and oh my God, like it all just back out. And so I knew like, okay, I need to call in like, the big guns here. Mm-hmm. So I've been seeing my counselor every week and it is hard work. Mm-hmm. I will never deny how hard it is to keep yeah. showing up, especially when you feel like depression is raging and you don't want to get out of bed. It is really hard to go show up to the place where you know you're going to have to face the hard stuff and the really real mm-hmm. things. And it's hard when you're like fighting anxiety and it, that feels like a very anxiety inducing thing to <laughs> which feels backwards. You're like, this is supposed to be helping, but I'm like stressed all day about going to counseling. Like I like legitimately have cried more tears than I knew I had in me. And I've realized things about what happened then that are still affecting me that I thought I wouldn't have to deal with. And, mm-hmm. but it, so for all of the hard and really painful and really, it, you know, I get, I think it gets worse before it gets better with counseling. Yeah. Um, there has also been so much transformation that has happened and growth that I've been able to actually see and celebrate. And, um, it has been some of the most like life changing and life giving work that I have ever done. And I don't know, I think I look back at the girl that I was back when like the worst of things was happening. And I realized like, I don't, I, there's parts of her I know are still a part of me and I carry that in me, but it's also such a different person now that I, than mm-hmm. I was then. And I see that and I give a lot of credit to counseling. And I think a mm-hmm. lot of that has come from just like being faithful to doing the hard work of healing hard work. Yeah. And just like staying in it. it yeah. Cause not fun. <laughs> yeah. Because ultimately like the journey toward healing requires revisiting and reopening really hard stuff. I mean, there's that whole saying of like peeling back an onion, but it's like that when you are working through past trauma and past issues too, because there's so many layers right. that either you don't remember or you've blocked out or just even psychological things you didn't realize in the moment. And so it's not fun. 
Like it's right. No, but the reward of uh, growing closer to being a more healed version of yourself, I guess, if you want to say it that way, or just working through it, the reward is so worth the hard work. Would you agree? It is. It is. And I think there's freedom that comes in that journey that you don't even know you're missing out on that. I might've thought at different seasons over the years, like, Oh, I'm okay now. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't feel that bad. And I haven't had a panic attack for a couple of weeks or months or whatever. And you know, some people know enough about me to feel like I feel close to them. And so I'm okay. I can be fine at this level. And then I think when I started kind of pressing in, I look back on that and like, Oh, there, that was such a shallow depth. And there's so much more goodness and just like freedom yeah. and life and light and healing. And I, I'm glad I just started that journey and I'm glad I've kept showing up for it because I think I would have really missed a lot. And I'm really grateful that I have started to see progress and then I know that there's more to come. So I think once you start to see a little bit, you get hungry for more of it. You start to realize like, oh, okay, I can actually be better and things can heal and new life can come after the things that felt like a death. And Mm -hmm. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Transformation is beautiful, especially when you can so clearly see the old version with the the new version compared right next to each other. Yeah. Well, that's I'm awesome. not going to say, I won't sit here and say like, and I'm cured, but I will say that I, through counseling, um, I have tools now and I have resources and I have things at my disposal that help me fight back. And so I don't feel powerless anymore to what I used to feel very burdened by. And it's taking a lot of things that are like, there's a lot of tools that are helping me fight back against that and really do that work. I mean, counseling is one of them that helps a lot. Um, antidepressants help. And I like advocate for figuring out if that's an option for you and being open to that mm-hmm. possibility. Prayer helps essential oils. Help. Like there's so many things mm-hmm. being in community and being in the word every day and journaling a lot and doing meditation and going to yoga. Like there's a lot of things that I'm piecing together to help fight back against depression and anxiety. And I had to do those things even when it felt really hard and when depression felt really bad. And I had to figure out ways to kind of trick myself into it, but I knew that it was good for me. And so I found ways to start small and build up and get to a place where I could do more of that. And counseling has just been a huge, a huge one of those things for me. Yeah. You touched on the fact that you do advocate for counseling and for going deeper if you need to with see other kinds of doctors, um, figuring out your way through anxiety and depression. And I kind of like what you just said. There's not just like a one-stop shop where it fixes everything. It is kind of this mixture of different ways, different routes to take toward your healing. I think that's really beautiful. So you do advocate for it a lot. Why? Is it, is yeah. it simply because of just how much it's, it's helped you in, in your story? Um, or did you get, I, I'm assuming you probably, as you've been more open, mm-hmm. um, especially through like your blog and social media, you've probably, I would assume, have gotten a lot of feedback. Yeah. Yeah. I have um, gotten a lot of responses about counseling and a lot of mm-hmm. questions about counseling and a lot of people that are curious and don't know where to start or... Mm-hmm see me talking about it and tell me that it's the first time I've ever heard somebody speak openly about going to counseling. And what I've learned through all of that is one, there should be no shame in seeking help. It does not mean that you have some defect. It means you're a human and like surprise, you haven't achieved total perfection yet. None of us have, none of us 
will. So like, why not give yourself the benefit of somebody to help kind of guide you on that journey? So I think the fact that there is shame and stigma around counseling or seeking help in any sort of mental health capacity is ridiculous and I'm just over it. <laughs> so, and I think too, I think everybody that I know that has gone to counseling or seen some sort of therapist or psychiatrist or anything has found it to be beneficial. And so I really believe that every single human person on the planet could benefit from going to counseling. And you don't need to have a reason and there doesn't need to be some huge trauma in your life. And you don't need to have the same story that I have to feel like you Mm -hmm. need to go to counseling. If you feel like your life is totally super awesome, you could also still see a counselor. And Mm -hmm. there's always some way that you can be healing or growing or challenging Mm -hmm. yourself or just having a place to go vent. There's just so many things that I have found helpful about counseling that I do. I look around and I'm like, why why would you not want to have Mm -hmm. that available to you? And um, I know there are hurdles that people kind of wrestle with or think might stand in their way when it comes to counseling. And I've got some really great resources that I've found and I've been connected with that with help in that. So I'm always willing to kind of share those with people too, that like Mm -hmm. there are, are there resources if finances are a struggle and there's, you know, there's ways to find um, access to help that make it accessible truly. So I do, I really just find it to be just a beneficial practice and I'm really grateful for it. I don't think I could have survived my past experiences without the help of a counselor. I don't think I would be alive here today to talk about it, not having had him in my life. So I don't think he is my savior and I don't think he is perfect, but he has been a really faithful part of my life. And Mm -hmm. I really believe that God has used him to help in my healing in ways that like friends or relatives couldn't have. Mm -hmm. So. I'm going to throw you a little curveball because as we've been talking, I a question came to mind that I feel like I have to ask you. When you started going to counseling, or at least when you started being vocal about going to counseling and seeing a counselor regularly, did you experience any kind of stigma mm-hmm. around saying I'm, I'm in counseling um, and in particular in the faith culture? <laughs> yeah. I did. I have, I ranted about this on Instagram once and then I realized I should take it down. (laughs) Perhaps it was not the place, but yeah, there was, there was a common response and it it wasn't from everybody, but it was from enough people that I was paying attention that I was hearing it. And it was just this idea that like, why, you know, prayer, prayer should fix it. Or you're not um, trying hard enough. You're not reading the word enough. You're not being a good enough Christian. If that's, you know, if you need that, or why would, why would you need that? Uh, yeah, uh, it makes me so mad. It was infuriating. And it was so hurtful to hear like, Uh, you're telling me I'm not a quote unquote good enough Christian because I'm struggling with depression and anxiety. And every time I would just be shocked, honestly, that like, you don't think I like would choose an alternative if I could, you don't think I'm praying about this all the time. Like, you don't think I'm like, ripping through my Bible, trying to figure out like, what does God have to say? Like, where is he? Why is this happening to me? Like, why does it feel this way? I mean, I went through hell and back and uh, the idea that I was not doing enough and that God had somehow, I don't know, made this way to be a good Christian and then I would solve all your problems and I had somehow missed it was so hurtful. Yeah. I will never (laughs) say those words to somebody. And I just, I don't know. I don't, I think I can recognize that there's just a lack of understanding from 
other people that just maybe haven't experienced it. And they're, I think, you know, different generations feel differently about vulnerability and about sharing things publicly. And I can recognize that. Yeah. But I think, you know, my grandparents might kind of look at me and be like, what the heck? Like, why are you talking about your personal (laughs) stuff on the internet? Like, stop. But I don't know. It was, there was a lot of a hurtful, hurtful responses from people within the church. And I've kind of made it my mission to try to be a voice that is not like that and be one that just is encouraging and supportive because we need more of that. I agree. This is really interesting because I've been going through a chronological study. I was just telling you about this in the mornings, um, which I have not read my Bible consistently in years. And I just read through Job and such a big takeaway. I think the biggest one I got is really like, we can't understand what's happening in other people's lives. So to think that we have the authority or the power to give advice that isn't helpful, like to say, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to do. This, 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 like that's so unhelpful (laughs) because ultimately we can't fully know someone's experience. Like they didn't know what you were walking through or what you, Mm -hmm. why you wait, even what got you into counseling, which was this traumatic, like such a traumatic experience from a decade ago. Right. Right. And right. So I just, I think that's an important lesson for all of us to learn is like, just be with people, like yes. just be there, be as encouraging and helpful as you can. And if it's something that you don't agree with, or you don't understand, you don't need to say that much. <laughs> right. I did. There are some people I remember responding with like, you're struggling with depression. Like, what do you have to be depressed about? I have learned I'm still learning also (laughs) to be gracious in response and yeah, try to give people a little bit of coaching of like, yeah, so here's how depression actually works. And like, you might not see it, but there's some stuff going on in my life that like is really hard and I need some help. And it's like, you know, thanks and shut up. (laughs) (laughs) That's a much nicer way. Cause I literally, y'all can't see what I just did, but I threw up middle (laughs) fingers. (laughs) Um, your bravery in from just having read that blog post that came out was just a few months ago where basically, I mean, the way I I see it is you shared your story and in a way you shared your, uh, me too, you know, hashtag me too story in such a raw and authentic way. It was so vulnerable. And when I I remember reading it and just crying because Mm -hmm. one, I had obviously no idea, but two, I couldn't help but think, holy crap, these words are so important. First of all, on your journey toward healing, but add on to that, there are so many people walking through Mm -hmm. similar situations where they feel like they don't have the space or the authority or whatever to share that part of their lives and be Mm -hmm. honest. So tying into that, what got you to the point where you were convinced and I'm so glad you were convinced um, to share that story. Yeah. I mean, as I was kind of talking about before, I feel like I got to a breaking point mm. um, with the way I was feeling and the way I was living and the lies I was kind of hiding behind and the shame I was carrying. And I think a lot of that has, you know, come came out of a lot of counseling and a lot of doing that kind of hard work where I got to the point of thinking like, what is actually the worst case scenario here? And what am I really afraid of saying this publicly? Because until, yeah, until two months ago, I had told maybe a handful of trusted friends, but 
there was a lot I, you know, shied away from talking about online. And there was a lot that, you know, my family had no clue what Mm -hmm. I had lived through. And there was a lot that I just kind of had to keep behind closed doors. And I was tired of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I saw society around me moving toward this, (laughs) what, what honestly is best described as a reckoning in this kind of me too movement of these women, like with Mm -hmm. these stories that I heard and I related to, and I felt like resonated and they were echoing my own story. And I saw them stepping forward and I saw them sharing and I saw them kind of holding people, their abusers accountable. And, you know, I didn't always see it play out well, but I always saw those women as courageous. And I saw them stepping into freedom and I saw the wave of others that followed each time. And I was so encouraged by that. And honestly, just emboldened by that to realize like, if they can do it on these very, very public stages, if they can do it, period, <laughs> then <laughs> I think I can too. And I, I started to think like, what, when it, what is it that I'm actually afraid of? And So what if that happens? And I think my biggest fear, honestly, was telling my family and the people closest to me is it just felt like a really scary place to be and vulnerable to like the nth degree. Mm -hmm. And I really realized my fear was that if they truly know me, they won't love me. And I kind of got to this place of like, okay, so if that happens... And if my parents and my brother and the very closest people to me hear my story and if I share with them and their response is to end relationship and they step out of mm-hmm. contact with me or they, you know, tell me they're mad at me and they're done with me forever. I just kept thinking like, I, even if that happens and I didn't, I don't think if I really was honest that I thought it was going to, mm-hmm. but it was the fear, right? And it was mm-hmm. this thing that had kept me quiet for so long, but I realized like there's a heck of a lot of people in my corner. And I am loved. And I know that to be true from the people that I've shared with who have stuck by me. And I know that to be true because friends are, you know, in in my corner and encouraging me daily. And I'm plugged into a church community and I've got great friends and I've got Mm -hmm. a great roommate and coworkers love me. And I was like, even if these people or some other people down the road don't stay, I will be okay. And even Mm -hmm. if all of those people heard and they all left, I kind of realized like, I think I would be okay. And I think that there's a strength within me that I believe is like by the grace of God. And it is ultimately his strength in me. If that's true. And if I like it, it required me to believe that that was enough and that God would be enough for me, even if everything else was gone. And even if every worst case scenario came true, and even if every fear happens. And I think it just gave me enough courage to step out in faith, believing that ultimately this story is not about me and I have not survived what I've survived because I did anything about it. Mm. I believe fully that the Lord sustains me and protected me even in like the hardest, most painful seasons. And I believe that he is still good and faithful and out of that, that he would continue to be. And that me sharing the story of what I lived through and sharing the story of his faithfulness and his redemptive work in my life would only serve to hopefully glorify him and to point Mm -hmm. to the hope that I found in him and the healing that I found in him. Mm -hmm. And it started to feel like, how can I not share that? Mm -hmm. And how can I not tell the story of what he's done because I am healing and I have been in the most broken like depths of it. And I've found life again and I've found joy and restoration again. And if I can maybe encourage one other person 
to step into some of that for themselves, then mm-hmm. I don't want to hide that. And I don't want to hold that back. And I want to be able to just share what I have found in hopes that it be helpful and encouraging and life-changing for other people. So I did, I sat down with my parents and I told them everything. And then very next day hit publish on the scariest blog post I will ever write. You think you cried a lot reading it. I was weeping. (laughs) I mean, I am usually a one and done kind of a blog post writer. Like I'll put it out. Don't even edit it. Hit publish. Mm -hmm. No big deal. And I agonized over this. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was going to be this turning point in my life that I would remember forever. And it would Mm -hmm. mark this intense moment in my story where I was turning away from the shame and ultimately saying like you person in my past that hurt me and you shame and you darkness, you don't get to win here. Mm-hmm. You don't get to be having power over me any longer. And I'm taking it back mm-hmm. and I'm owning it and I'm speaking it. And I think there's just something really powerful about bringing our stories and the dark places into the light and letting mm-hmm. them. And I think it just starts to break the chains that they have. Yeah, on us. absolutely. So I do. Girl, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I just love how candid and open you are about the freedom that has come as a part of reclaiming Mm -hmm. that part of your story. Yeah. This thing isn't your story. It's a very, a part of it that has affected you for a long time, but it's part of it. It's Mm -hmm. not the whole thing. And the freedom that then comes with bringing that hard, ugly, dark part that had you living in shame and chains and, and, and all of those things, bringing it into the light and what freedom comes with that. I've shared some vulnerable parts of my life and there's always, for me, at least there's always been so much fear before, like so much like, why am I doing this? What am I doing? This is a bad idea. Everyone's going to think I'm a horrible person or Mm -hmm. they're not going to love me like you were saying, or whatever reason we can try and self-justify, right? But then you do it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much freedom and it's yeah. like, I, uh, like physical weights get lifted. Oh yeah. Yeah. You just, you carry yourself differently because it's not on you anymore. Yeah. And people saw it on me. Yeah. And I remember like, I, you know, posted on Instagram stories that afternoon and the next day and in the days to follow. And every single time I was, re- people would respond like, you just look lighter and you look mm-hmm. brighter and you are like radiant and you're smiling and I hadn't realized how much it had just like unknowingly really affected me. And you mentioned all this earlier, and I want to be sure to say it, that the responses I got (laughs) from the story and from me, like we talked about earlier, going first in my kind of corner of the world and saying my truth and really speaking it, um, the responses broke my heart into a thousand million pieces. um, And Oh gosh. I mean, I've said forever, I would never wish any of what I experienced on my worst enemy. Um, Mm -hmm. And the fact that girls could respond and say they could relate or that they had lived through something similar or they understood, or that was their story too, or, you know, they had been sexually assaulted or they had been abused or they had been hurt. um, It broke me into a million pieces. Yeah. And simultaneously was so encouraging to know Mm -hmm. that that was why it mattered to say And that my thought of like, okay, if it helps one person and here I am sitting with like hundreds of messages in my inbox realizing like, oh, this heartbreakingly is so much more common than we realize. And Mm -hmm. the last statistics I heard were like one in four women women have been through some sort of sexual abuse or assault. Mm -hmm. When you think about it that way, like I, there's four girls within like a hundred 
feet of me right now. Mm -hmm. Like one of us. And it's just, it was so just humbling. And it felt like such an honor to get to hear people's stories and be some small part of um, encouraging them or speaking life back or uh, I understand and I Mm -hmm. love you and I'm here for you. And I'm so proud of you for saying something, even if it was just to me, it just kind of confirmed like this was important and this was good to do. And all of the fear honestly melted away really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And I realized like, I had made monsters out of nothing and I had yeah. really made, I don't know, what do they call it? Mountains out of molehills. Mountains hills. out of molehills. <laughs> like I had thought surely everything would be changed. I thought I was going to get fired. Like I made sure to talk to HR first. Like I was like freaking mm-hmm. out about it and imagining all of these consequences and repercussions that like honestly were ridiculous. And all I was met <laughs> with was like a lot of love. And I just, it was so cool to be able to turn to these girls that were messaging me back and say like, this can be true for you too. That like, mm-hmm. you're looking at me and be like, wow, you are doing it. I'm like, you, you also can do it. And I promise yes. you, if nothing else, I will be the biggest cheerleader right in front of you, cheering you on and showering you and all the love that I've been given because it is good to fight for freedom and for healing. And mm-hmm. it just matters. So Ugh. I'm so proud of you for oh, having the courage, although I probably didn't feel like courage at the time Nope. <laughs> to, to open up that part of your life. Um, because I knew the minute I read it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be, this is going to be big. Like people are going to mm-hmm. read this and their healing journey is going to begin or is going to accelerate as a result of reading about yours. And I hope I'm away, honestly. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? And it's what I love about it too, is it's so like our God to do because you've brought something into the light. Now others can bring their own darkness into the light and, and know they're not alone and that healing is possible and freedom is possible and that they are loved far beyond what they could ever imagine. So proud of you for sharing your story then and sharing it again now. And I just feel like having kind of watched this play out in your life, um, from afar, (laughs) I feel like you have gotten to this place where you are very, very good at owning your story and like living fully in the truth of who you are. And I think that that's something that our generation in particular is really craving and really hungry for is to like fully live in that place and not be ashamed, not have fears and doubts about fully being who we were made to be. And so if you could just give like a couple pieces of advice Mm -hmm. as to how one could kind of step more fully into that, what would you say? Yeah, I honestly think the best advice I could give is to just do the next right thing. I think that was a Eugene Peterson phrase, um, but it has been so encouraging to me. I think when I, I struggle with honestly feeling so burdened by the bigness of it all, that it's helpful for me to just try to think like, okay, I don't maybe have to tell the entire world my story. And it took years for me to like, don't hear this and think like, oh, she went through all this crap and then just like told everybody and it was fine. Like it took a (laughs) long time. And in that were so many little steps. And I think I just encourage people to take the next right step that you see in front of you. Maybe that looks like you tell one friend and you reach out to one person and say that you're struggling or that you've been through something or something has happened to you. Maybe that's your next right step is to call a counselor. Maybe your next right step is to show up at church. Maybe it's to leave church. Maybe it's to (laughs) go to the yoga class. Maybe, I don't know, but just try the next right thing. And I, what I keep finding is that 
by doing that, the next right thing keeps appearing. And yeah. I mean, I think there's something to be said for just taking that first step and trusting mm-hmm. that like the rest of the staircase will follow and will appear. And yeah, it can be a little overwhelming if you're just imagining like, I want to own all of who I am and live mm-hmm. fully in my truth. That's a lot, but yeah. you're right. Like just looking at one step at a time, it can lead you mm-hmm. in a way that you wouldn't have been able to maybe go had you tried to just jump all right. Way. It might look as silly as somebody asking you, how are you? And you don't just say like, good, how are you? Maybe like <laughs> mm-hmm. the next time somebody asks you, you're like, Hey, it's actually been a hard day. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just you starting to be real and more real than you were yesterday about how your life is going. Maybe, I don't know. I just, I think we make it a lot more complicated than it needs to be. And I think we make it a lot more scary. And Mm -hmm. I really think when we just start moving in that direction, we keep going in that direction. So I think a lot of it just looks like, yeah, taking the next right step. And I think it looks like just being gentle and gracious with yourself and knowing that it's going to be a hard journey and kind of preparing yourself for that. And giving yourself tools to help that, you know, will help along the way. Like you, you know, you wouldn't set out to hike a huge mountain without some resources in your backpack, (laughs) you know? And Mm -hmm. so I think like, Hey, okay, I'm starting this work of owning my story or starting this work of healing. What are some things I'm going to need to have with me? And like, okay, I'm going to need to have friends on my corner. I'm going to need to like have people that know where I'm going and where I want to get. I'm going to need to have a map with me. I'm going to need to have things to keep me sustained and the things that bring me joy in life. And maybe I, you know, I need to make sure I've got a good, like funny show on my Netflix (laughs) once every day. And just, I think we've got to start to kind of just boil it down to the basics and just start smaller. And then the big, the big things come and you can look back. I can look back where I am now and be like, Oh wow. Like a lot of big stuff happened. Like (laughs) in the moment it didn't, a lot of it didn't feel big or glorious or important or even like it was working. Um, (laughs) but here I am and I've made progress and I can see that now and know that Mm -hmm. like, Oh, it's going to probably feel really monotonous and hard for a while, but surely at some next point down the road, I'll be able to look back and be like, Oh yeah, all those little steps got me here. Mm Mm-hmm. Rachel, this has been so good <laughs> and like not encouraging, not easy, but really good and really <laughs> and really powerful. And your willingness to go there has inspired me to like go there even more. So thank good. you. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's the hill I'm willing to die on now. Of like, we gotta <laughs> just get real. Like, yes. no more hiding. Yes. Okay, so we're gonna wrap up with a couple questions. This question. I think I've said this on every episode so far. I'm like, I'm so excited because I just love to hear everyone's answers. Knowing what you know now at 26, yeah? Yeah, yeah. What would you tell yourself at age 20? I'm tempted to like make this like serious and thoughtful because I've been in that headspace. (laughs) But honestly, I feel like I would just tell my younger self, like have fun, like lighten up a little bit. Just try saying yes and see what happens. Let people in, go places you've never been before just stay curious and stay open. I think I just needed somebody to tell me that like, it's okay to just like try stuff and fail and have fun with it and just like go for it because really good stuff is going to happen. And I don't know, don't take it all so seriously. Yeah. Oh God, that's good. You know, I recently had someone tell me your twenties are for doing all the things like do the things when you're in your twenties. I'm taking it into my thirties because I'm almost there. And I'm like, I'm not letting this go. But I think that that's a good way to kind of live. Like your twenties are for trying all the things. Yeah. For figuring out more who you are, what you're passionate about, what you Mm -hmm. love, say yes. And don't worry about what's going to happen. I mean, be 
respond. Smart. Like, <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm such a, I'm an Enneagram one who is very helping on like, if I'm not going to do it perfect, I'm not going to do it at all. And so I think I just didn't try stuff. And looking back, I'm like, that was mm-hmm. dumb. Like, why did I just like try out for that thing or like show up to that place or like go on that road trip? Like, why not? So I wish I had just lived a little bit more freely. So mm-hmm. you're well, in your twenties, do all the things. Yeah. Okay. So then who or what is inspiring you lately? Yeah. I actually have a kind of interesting response to this. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe people are like, oh, that's totally what you would say. Ooh, I'm really excited. Um, Yeah. So it's actually like, I can show you because you're here on my screen. Daily like meditation book called The Language of Letting Go. And it's by Melody Beattie. Um, If you're like me, you probably hear like the term codependency and you're like, oh, what? I don't know what that means. Like, is that like something that's like for, I don't know who that relates to. That was me. And I was like, I don't think that's not a thing I struggle with. No. And then my counselor had me read a book by her. And so, you know, it probably does make total sense that I'm saying this, but (laughs) this book has been just like a really helpful, super short snippets every day of, it's just really related well to where I'm at in my life and my story. And every day I leave feeling a little bit more like, yeah, okay, I can do that. And I feel like motivated to live differently. And I feel like I'm empowered to like take control of, like we talked about, like owning my truth, owning my story, Mm -hmm. defending the boundaries that I'm setting for myself. And it's just been a fun little I don't know if fun's the right word. It's been a really helpful and encouraging way to kind of <laughs> start each day feeling a little bit more empowered to like make ish happen that day. Mm-hmm. So it's been really inspiring. And I've like written down a ton of quotes from it. It's very highlighted. So I mean, it's good. <laughs> I feel like you posted about it recently on Instagram I and I like took mental note, but I'm also an 85 year old woman in my head. So I totally <laughs> forgot it. So I just wrote it down so I would remember. Nice. Okay. And then our last question, which I'm asking everyone as well is in your opinion, what makes someone a wild heart? I love this. When I first thought about it, I was like, oh, am I even one of those? Like, I don't know. It's probably all those other people that are fun and, you know, do the things. But <laughs> I I love it. I think I'm realizing I want to live more like a wild-hearted person. So to me, a wild heart is someone that lives freely and fully into just her truest calling as her truest self. I think it's somebody that's always exploring and growing and chasing after joy and just never settling. Um, mm-hmm. Somebody that's really pressing into the abundant life, I would say. Yeah, I love that because I feel like there is a bit of a misconception like that it means you have to be living a life like I live, which means yeah. just like traveling all the time and doing, which is not, that's not what makes a wild heart. That makes a sometimes someone who feels like they're crazy. Um, <laughs> but that's not, it's just, it's a part of your journey and your spirit yeah. and Exploring yeah. can be physical, but it can also be mental, emotional, spiritual, mm-hmm. like just being willing to do it. Yeah. And you might be living a wild hearted journey, like physically without borders all around you that like the world is kind of your home right now. But then I think I look at my own life and think like, oh, I've like busted out, like my own heart has busted out of like the cage yes. that it was put in. And like my heart has been freed to just like live more, like just mm-hmm. be more excited about things, be more mm-hmm. free. And that feels a little wild because it's just like that I'm not caged in anymore. But that's what I love. Being a wild heart doesn't look the same in everyone's life. It's different. So cool. Oh, it's great. I love it so much. (laughs) You're on to something with this, I think. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Oh, Rachel, this has been absolutely Mm. wonderful. And I'm just so 
thankful for the friendship that we have. It's so unique. I'm so grateful to social media for having introduced <laughs> us. And I don't know, I might be planning a trip out to Richmond pretty soon. Please so. <laughs> do. Please do. We can have all the like actual heart to hearts and it will be lovely. Oh, that'd be so great. Well, thank yeah, you thank so you much. It's been like, I feel like I'm going to hop off this and this call and like need to go do some massive journaling just through. Yeah. Yeah. If everybody leaves this and thinks like, oh, I should go to counseling, then I have done my job. <laughs> Let's just all chase after freedom, you know? Let's go. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Thank you, Rachel. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Wild Hearts with Janine. I know that Rachel and I dove into some heavy and hard topics today. So I hope that you're walking away from this episode feeling encouraged and supported and more confident to take those steps, whatever they may be, to own your story. If after listening, you've made the decision that it might be wise for you to begin looking for a counselor, know that you have full support of both Rachel and myself. And if you need any help or advice or even just a listening ear, feel free to reach out to either one of us. Otherwise, be sure to tune in again in two weeks, where it will be the first of hopefully many solo cast episodes where I will be recording solo. And the topic of that episode will be singleness, relationships, and dating. Trust me, it's gonna be weird, but also a lot of fun. (laughs) So I can't wait to see you guys back here in two weeks. Until then, keep dreaming, seeking, and stepping out in faith.